Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Avanti Insights Podcast. This is episode 10. I'm your host, Adrian Vernon, and I'm joined by our usual cast of characters, Phil Richards, Chief Security Officer here at Avanti, and Chris Gettle, one of our Senior Directors of Product Management. Today, we're talking about ransomware. Now, before we dive into present-day state with ransomware, let's do a little history lesson. Do you guys remember floppy disks back in the day? Oh, yeah. Boy, Adrian, you, you were really pushing the boundary there. Floppy disks, I, I barely remember. Unfortunately, I do remember them, though. I'm, I'm, I'm old. If we go back just over 30 years to 1989, this, as I understand it, is the first documented ransomware event, and it was called the AIDS Trojan. You guys remember this in around that 1989 time frame? And a bunch of thousands of floppy disks were, were sent out, and it was, a, it was disguised as like this AIDS education software. And when people put it in, and I think they had to boot up like 90 times, and when they reached that 90th count, then suddenly they were asked to uh, pay $189 to unlock their files, and they had to send that payment to a P.O. box in Panama. So I don't know how much you guys remember of that. I, I didn't remember much about it, but doing a little research got kind of up to speed. But now let's f- fast forward to today and ransomware events look nothing like that 1989 event at all. No, they definitely increased in sophistication significantly. Uh, floppy disks as a delivery system and mailing a check to Panama as uh, the payment system definitely very difficult because then he you know had to pay you or like send you the diskette to decrypt you know to be able to do that and just it was not a very workable model now the world being much more connected bitcoin and other mechanisms being in place definitely a lot more sophistication in the hands of threat actors today Absolutely. So uh, obviously, it is much more sophisticated as we fast forward you know, 32 years. The threat of ransomware, it obviously is not going away. What do we need to know today? Well, I think starting off, we've seen a massive uptick. So if you go back to like early 2018 and before, ransomware was kind of a opportunistic attack. It was spread by malware hit a machine here, hit a machine there. Hopefully it hits and spreads across many machines in one organization because people are sending it to the same email or something like that. And what what they were hoping for at that point was two to three digit payout. So somewhere around 50 to a couple hundred dollars per machine that they encrypted. So it didn't scale significantly. So if you look at data from back in like Q3 2018, this is where the average ransomware payment got up to around $5,000. And the average downtime from a ransomware attack was about four days. Right after that, they started to really focus on and scale out their business. And as we talk about this today, ransomware isn't just an attack. It absolutely is a business. And we're going to talk about it from that perspective in several ways. But when you fast forward to this last quarter, Q1 2021, We're now up to an average of 23 days as the downtime relating to an enterprise-grade ransomware attack. And the average ransom being paid is definitely up above $200,000. It fluctuated a little bit in the last couple of uh, quarters. But yeah, quarter million, definitely not unheard of for the average ransom being paid. You know, Chris, this is absolutely mind-blowing to me because when I think about the fact that ransoms were literally hundreds to low thousands of dollars just two and a half years ago. Uh, It's it's absolutely mind-blowing. You're talking about quarter million dollar ransoms. And just so everybody is aware, we are aware of 
much, much bigger ransoms. I mean, obviously the Colonial Pipeline ransom was a $4.4 million ransom, and that's even small by, by some estimates. I'm aware of 10 and 20 and $40 million ransoms that have been paid to the threat actors. So there are absolutely some very big ticket ransoms and ransom attacks that have, that have occurred. And the fact that this has just ex escalated the way it has in the past two and a half years is, is mind-blowing. Yeah, so on that note, so Phil, let's stick with you for this next question. Chris mentioned that ransomware, it's not just an attack. It truly is a business. So Phil, let's start with you. We'll have Chris chime in. How has this business of ransomware evolved, as you said, just the last two and a half years? Well, it, it, it's really interesting because one thing you got to keep in mind is that for for the threat actors, the bad guys, the ransomware is is their product. And and Chris mentioned this in a blog he's recently published. And the key to their making money, you know, to kind of put a pun on it, is the actual decryption key. That's the that's the thing that that actually matters. And one of the things that we've recently talked about is the fact that uh, they, they're starting. The threat actors are starting to realize that they need to be extremely trustworthy when it comes to being able to provide a, a decryption capability. If if I'm going to charge a million bucks plus, the the customer needs to have some assurance that uh, that they're actually going to get their data back if that decryption key is is purchased. Another component of this is one of, one of the things that the threat actors have have discovered is that just having a ransom oftentimes isn't enough. The the reputation impact of knowing that they have been attacked by a ransom ransomware attacker for a lot of companies is is worth more money than unlocking the files. Uh, and so that's why we're seeing ransom attacks frequently, if not most of the time, they include exfiltration of data as well. And the reason for that is because brand reputation matters to these customers and not having been attacked by a threat actor is, uh, is worth the payment price. So Chris, maybe you could expand upon this because Phil used the word trustworthy, that these threat actors need to be trustworthy. So a trustworthy criminal, that just doesn't sound right to me. Expand upon that, please. Yeah, it, it definitely feels awkward when you first say it. But, I, you know, as Phil mentioned, I, I wrote a, a paper about the evolution of ransomware recently. And one of the things that I was researching is a company called Cubware. Their business is built around helping companies to respond to and uh, recover from ransomware attacks. They had a lot of really interesting insights and information about this. So one of the things that um, they keep is dossiers on each of these different groups. They can tell you the reputation of the threat actor who you're up against. They can uh, help you with negotiations and other things like that. So one of the interesting things that I read about there is that 93% of victims who paid the ransom received a decryption key. Well, if the reputation of, of the, the attacker that I'm uh, interacting with is that they're not going to give me the decryption key if I pay up, there's a lot less likelihood that I'm going to do that. You know, some of us like to go to Vegas and gamble on something. Some of us don't. Do I want to gamble on whether I'm going to get these keys or not? All right. So now once I get the key, how credible is this technology that they're using? Again, like Phil said, that is the product right there. The problem is one that, yes, they created and they threw on you the whole encrypting of your environment, but the product they're selling you is that decryption. Now, 95% of people who paid the ransom and got that decryption key, 95% of them were able to successfully recover their data. That's important. If, if they don't have a high level of success in doing that, 
why would any of us continue to pay those ransoms? Sure, it's disruptive to our business and everything, but we're not going to get the data back. There's no reason to pay. So credibility becomes the heart and soul of this entire business model. So there's there's a lot of interesting things when you start to look at ransomware in that way. So I'm a product guy. I have to I have to build a product that can solve a problem. If I can't solve a real world problem, nobody's going to buy my product. I have to be able to have a good experience around that. You know, whether it's payment, they've got very sophisticated means of having you pay them. They've got sophisticated means of delivering you the decryption keys. And the success rate of those decryption keys has to be up to a high degree of success or their entire business model starts to fail. So a lot of what we've seen in the past couple of years in how this has ramped up significantly is the emphasis that these threat actors have put on the payment systems behind their business, the model in which that they're delivering and uh, decrypting that data for you. That has had to be very expertly executed or their reputation falls apart and their product fails. One of the things that we, we should really cover is is how to kind of stop or arrest uh, ransomware. And, and we do that by attacking the actual business model of the ransomware threat actors. Clearly, one of the things that uh, would help with that is, is simply refusing to pay. That's that's becoming increasingly difficult. The, the threat actors are, are making it more and more challenging and more and more difficult to uh, avoid paying uh, ransoms. They're doing that through a number of techniques. They're 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 making sure that your your environment stays down for days and weeks if you don't pay the ransom, and 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 that all of a sudden the amount of ransom that you're paying is very small in comparison to the business loss that you will take on by by not paying the ransom. Uh, additionally, the, we talked a little bit about the, the the reputation angle that the that the threat actors are using. They're gonna they're gonna publicly disclose that you've been attacked by ransomware, and that's worth money to make sure that that doesn't happen to a lot of companies. When it comes to not paying, we have uh, help from other entities, right? There's a lot of insurance companies that are refusing to provide uh, insurance for, for ransoms. So that means that the business is less likely to have access to that cash. Uh, we're finding that that, the, that in the United States anyway, the federal government is actually not allowing ransoms to be paid through certain cryptocurrency venues. If you pay, then you are going to be, then, then your company is going to be criminally charged. And one of the things that we're seeing is the threat actors and the companies are negotiating about how they're going to pay the ransom. If the U.S. federal government is saying, no, we're not going to allow you to pay via that particular vehicle or something like that. It, it's making changes to the, the the business model for the threat actors. Uh, law enforcement, as we saw with, with with the Colonial Pipeline, is in the process of of, of recapturing uh, some of those funds, or they're going to try to make sure that they can they can do that. Again, disrupting the business model for the for the criminals. All those things make a change to that business model and and, and make it less likely for the threat actors to get paid. So in cases like that, where where there is an impact to your business, Phil, obviously, if, if, if you have certain systems that are down, that are being held captive, and you're in a situation where maybe you're not dealing with someone who's credible, or like you said, maybe you've got some governmental restrictions and unable to pay in a certain kind of currency. So now your, your systems continue to be held captive. What are other options there? Like how feasible is it that you know, that the enterprise or with help from, I understand there's organizations there, something like nomoreransom.org that can try to help decrypt 
the ransomware attacks, but how feasible is that that we could do that without paying a ransom? Uh, interesting. A few years ago, that was a, a lot more feasible than it than it is today. The uh, the threat actors have have improved in the computer science around the cryptography and uh, have made it excruciatingly difficult to have any chance of, of being able to recover. If you're talking about like a brute force recovery of those uh, of those systems, that that becomes increasingly di difficult. What typically ends up happening is that you have you you've got backups some of which have been preserved, some of which have been corrupted by the threat actors. Those systems where backups have been preserved are able to recover relatively quickly. And then you spend an excruciatingly long time restoring systems from memory, your, your own memory about what they used to do, rather than being able to recover them from, from backup. And, and that's really the uh, that's really kind of how it goes. Uh, in a, in a, a customer or a, a business is oftentimes kind of coming up slowly. Some of their systems are up relatively soon, and then other systems take a longer time to, to bring up. So it's not an enviable situation to be in, obviously. So Chris, with that said, what does an effective strategy to combat ransomware look like? Yeah, that's that's always the hard part is, unfortunately, there's no silver bullet. Threat actors are sophisticated. Their means of attack are very diverse. And in fact, it was interesting looking at, um, Covware has this quarterly report they put out. And one of the things they have in there is a breakdown of common attack vectors amongst the different top threat actors and also in size of companies that they're targeting. Um, the most common are going to be things like phishing as the initial kind of attack vector or RDP as the initial compromise that got them in software vulnerability or a category called other where there's some other things like potential insider cases where somebody has let them in the door through extortion or other things like that too. In Q4, this was heavily shifted towards RDP and uh, phishing. In Q1 2021, there was a massive shift over to software vulnerabilities for that entire quarter as being the top attack vector that was letting threat actors in. They can adapt to the circumstances of the day. They can shift rapidly to a tactic that's working more effectively. If you look at what happened in Q1, we had uh, a lot of attacks on exchange, zero days that happened there. We had zero days in Chrome. We had zero days in the Microsoft stack. You know, There's a lot of different ways that they suddenly just shifted over to and targeted software vulnerabilities because that was the easy way that they could get in right now. And once that was done, yeah, they can shift back to, oh, hey, we don't have any software vulnerabilities to play around with right now. Let's go back to our age old, you know, credential theft through phishing or walk in through RDP through credentials that we just bought off the dark web. So we need to worry about a variety of different things. We have to adopt especially in this everywhere workplace that we now operate in, we have to be able to adopt a zero trust strategy, not just zero trust the technology, but a true zero trust strategy. That means we need to focus on securing the user, securing the device and securing the access. Those three elements make up an effective zero trust strategy. Around securing the user, you've got things like security awareness training, implementing SSO MFA technologies. In fact, shifting towards passwordless authentication even better because that credential, there's one critical weakness in our environment that we can't remove and that's us, the end user. We can't remove the user from the environment, but we can take the weakness out of that user, which is that credential. That's the most effective way they're getting in today. Now, once they're in, they start to shift and look at a variety of other things. So anti-phishing, passwordless authentication, multi-factor, remove RDP from public facing altogether. That's not a good idea pretty much ever. But then we shift over to the devices. 
we've got to secure the devices. That means mobile threat defense on our, our mobile devices. It means good cyber hygiene on our desktops, laptops, and servers. That's things like patch, app control, privilege management, endpoint protection. You also need to balance that with detect and response capabilities. You need a good EDR solution and a group that's trained to be able to go and do that threat hunting. One of the key pieces though, there's been massive shifts like, oh, hey, everybody go get EDR, go and adopt detect and response. But if you haven't done those basic cyber hygiene steps, the volume of incidents that are gonna happen are gonna be overwhelming. Your EDR solution, your trained staff of professionals will never be able to keep up. So if we don't strike this balance and have these layers working together, we'll never be effective. Now, the last part is around that access request. We've massively shifted from on-network to services and data being stored in the cloud, a public cloud, private cloud, a bunch of different sources. How many different systems is a user able to access? Can they do it from their phone? Can they do it from their laptop? Can they do it from unmanaged or managed devices? we need to put better controls around the access and tighten up what they're allowed to get to. And that's where zero trust, the technology comes into play. Now, those three elements working together and in each of those elements, there's multiple layers. There's segmentation, there's access, there's software gateways, there's software defined firewalls, all sorts of things in the access side. We talked about many of the user and device levels as well. In each of those stacks, multiple layers working together as a security mesh. You'll hear this term coming up more and more from the analysts. A security mesh is what we're designing. And that's really what Zero Trust Strategies are focusing on. One final question, Phil, we're going to start with you. As we look at things today, the big question is, is ransomware winning? Well, that's a great question. And I think by every measure that you can think of for ransomware, ransomware is definitely winning. We've, we've talked about for over the last two and a half years, the, the, the average ransom has gone from hundreds of dollars to a quarter million dollars. Uh, we've seen ransoms that are much, much larger than that. Obviously, the uh, amount the, the amount of time that a, a ransom attack will decimate a company has expanded from less than a week to average of over three weeks for, for a company to be completely down and out for, uh, you know, dur during a ransom attack. Unfortunately, until we can change and alter that business model that the threat actors are operating under, we are going to see ransomware continuing to, to win and they're winning right now. And we have to, as a society, cha just change the dynamics so that that particular crime does not become doesn't does not does not have the payoff that it has today. Chris, is ransomware winning? Yeah, I would have to agree with Phil. Right now, it is kicking our collective butts out there. It's not an unwinnable situation for the defenders of the world. The technologies are there, the strategies are there. What what really, you know, I think is the game changer is getting to more effective layered approaches and shifting towards this security mesh mentality, this zero trust strategy mindset. Assume that you're already compromised. You know, Microsoft started uh, shifting that mentality a few years back. You know, other vendors have followed suit. It's it's very important that if we want to change that that statement of is ransomware winning from a, a yes to no, that we start to adopt these more modern counters to a very sophisticated and effective uh, form of business that threat actors are using today. 
Okay. Well, we've just about run out of time. So Phil, Chris, thanks so much. Uh, great topic. I know that we could uh, talk about this for considerably longer. So I'm sure we'll have some follow up there, but just hope you both have a great weekend. And I'll tell you a couple key takeaway phrases for me that I know that my wife was in the next room. She's probably wondering, she heard trustworthy threat actors, credible criminals. She's going to ask me after this, what on earth were you talking about? I'm going to have to say, hey, honey, it's ransomware. What else? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is front and center for anyone in the security business. So I'm sure that we'll be having further conversations on that. And, but we look forward to syncing up again a couple of weeks from now. And we don't know yet what that topic will be. So folks, until then, stay safe, be secure, keep smiling. <laughs>